Hello and welcome to the DFW Divorce Insider Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Eitzen, and today we are going to be discussing how to prepare with it for a divorce with children. Uh, our guest for today is one of the partners here at Duffy and Eitzen, Marianne Howland. How are you doing today, Marianne? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I can't complain. Can't complain. So uh, the topic today, as I just mentioned, is preparing for a divorce with children. Um, Obviously, this is a a very big component of family law. It comes up a lot uh, in divorce cases. And it is my understanding, and I'm not a lawyer, I've not been to law school. It's my understanding that uh, in Texas, uh, Texas codes, Texas courts, um, tend to really place a lot of emphasis on best welfare of, of the children in terms of how the the divorce uh, shakes out. Um, so what we wanted to talk about today was uh, things, uh, sort of how the courts define best welfare, what, uh, what our listeners as parents can do to create an environment that uh, you know, is going to promote the best welfare of their children. Um, and uh, so why don't we get started by uh, defining some terms? Yeah. Because um, I know there's a, a lot of uh, terminology connected to this right. topic. So first, um, let me just say that uh, the, the technical term, I guess, the term of art is best interest of the child. And the court, it's defined in the code. So the court uses that as um, their guideline on how to make decisions. But as you can imagine, it's very subjective. The court really uh, needs to hear the facts of the case before they can really determine what's in the best interest of the children. It's not like criminal law where there's just elements that have to be met or not met. So that's one definition. The other is conservatorship. Um, What that means is the parents are going to be appointed conservators of the child or children. And Usually, in most cases, the parents are appointed joint managing conservators. So there's a common misconception in Texas when people say they want full custody or they want to be the the only conservator. That doesn't typically happen. Um, in cases where there's been domestic violence or child abuse or neglect, the court can appoint one parent a sole con- managing conservator and then the other parent who's been the perpetrator of the abuse the managing conservator and that managing um, possessory conservator, I'm sorry, possessory conservator does not have many rights to the child. So, but for the majority of people, they will be dealing with their co-parent as a joint managing of the children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it, it's only in very extreme cases that uh, the, the court gives it all, all the majority of the rights to one parent. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that that other parent won't have visitation. Typically, that other parent will have some visitation, even if it's supervised. Um, So unless mm -hmm. we're terminating someone's rights, someone's parental rights, that that bad acting parent, I guess we could say, will still have some rights and some possession of the child. So that's something to keep in mind, even in extreme cases. The court does not like to terminate a relationship between a parent and a child. So... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's good to know. Um, so uh, you said the term of art was best interest of the child. Yes. 
Um, what, and, and obviously, as you said, uh, and like anything else in the legal world, this is going to vary. You know, it's, it's going to depend case by case. But in general, what is the court looking for or looking at when considering the best welfare of the child? Right. Best the best interest best, of the child. Sorry. Yes. The best interest will, the court will be looking at a variety of things. Mostly, the court will want to know if the child, who has been the primary caregiver of the child. And the court wants to know if, if both parents have been acting in the best interest of the child, which obviously can mean um, making good parental decisions, medical decisions, educational decisions, you know, emotionally supporting the children. Um, so th that's kind of the general overview. But then to, to get more specific, uh, the court needs to figure out who can be, who's going to be the primary conservator. Um, our family code defines um, the relationship between the two conservators as one being a primary conservator, joint managing conservator, and the other one being just a joint managing conservator. Um, primary conservator means that reside primarily with that conservator. And that conservator typically determines the child's um, geographical residence. So the court wants to look at a few things in determining that. And I can kind of go through what that means to the court, who has been the primary caregiver of the children. So that means who typically is the one who's purchasing the food and preparing the meals for the children, who's dressing them and grooming them and bathing them regularly. Um, who's in charge of the bedtime routines and the getting ready in the morning, who's buying the clothes, who's cleaning and washing the clothes for the children. Um, and then the court wants to see who's also, you know, helping with homework, who's arranging doctor's appointments and attending these appointments, who's the one who's meeting with the teachers more or who's more involved in the school. Um, they want to also see see who's planning uh, extracurricular activities for the children and giving the children some moral or religious direction. And that can mean, even if you don't go to church, that can mean, you know, just teaching your children to be good people, which is something we should all be doing as parents. Um, or, you know, Boy Scouts, something along those lines. So these are all things that the court wants to look at to see, you know, who's really been taking parenting seriously and doing all these things. And I think most of us would say we we do those already, um, but it's just something to really focus on when you're thinking about getting be sure that you're achieving all of these things for your children and protecting them and doing what's in their best interest. Um, and is, uh, and I, I want to later circle back a little more specifically on you, you just gave a lot of information there. I want to I want to circle back on some of it a little yep. more specifically a little later. But uh, continuing on on this thread, uh, do the courts um, take into consideration? Uh, so, like looking back, it it, it might it might make uh, is that. The other parent has only very, very recently, prior to asking for a divorce, begun involving themselves in their in their children's lives, um, and they might say that they're only doing it because they're getting a divorce, and that when the divorce stops, that they will um, stop doing that. Do, do the courts take into account sort of history of of uh, involvement in? Uh, 
the the sort of day-to-day lives of, of the children or are they more do they take more of an attitude of what are they doing now you know what does their current behavior look like right so that's an example of doing good because someone is watching versus doing good because it's the right thing to do so yes the courts are aware of that strategy um some attorneys will advise clients like who have not been involved in their children's lives mm-hmm. much to start involving them themselves in it. And it's truly just for litigation, which is fairly <laughs> transparent to courts. Um, and, you know, again, if we're thinking about our children, we're thinking, okay, we should have been doing this the whole time. You know, it's, it's uh, the court is oh, not sure. Obviously. Yeah. Right. So, so, right. So what I'm saying is, you know, like you said, not going to say, okay, well, mom has just now started putting the children to bed and, you know, doing laundry and things like that. So, you know, just because she's doing it now, that means we should give her 50-50 possession of the children. So mm-hmm. the court, the whole history is relevant for sure. Because if you think about a divorce, everything from the beginning of the marriage all the way through to the divorce is relevant. That's an entirely mm-hmm. relevant time period. And certainly from the time the children are born on is relevant. So the courts will take that as a whole before they make the decision. One uh, thing you talked about um, in there was involvement in the children's education. Yes. Um, And could you talk a little bit about, uh, because one thing that often comes up uh, as a point of dispute in um, divorce cases is where are the children going to be educated? At least uh, something I've, I've noticed in my limited exposure to family law cases. Right. So, <clears throat> you know, this is important because typically where we, when the child starts school, we, most parents want to keep that child in that same school and environment and then feed into the junior high and a high school. So you really need to take a long range approach, which you should have done really when you picked your child's school, but certainly when you are getting a divorce, is this the school pattern that I want my child to be in long-term? Of course, you can always move and move the child, but particularly through a divorce, we really want to try to keep the kids in them as stable as possible. So one of the things would be keeping them in the school that they're in and unless that school is just not meeting the child's needs. Um, So, you know, like with anything else in your child's life, their education, I mean, they spend so much time at school and this is the number one thing that helps them be a successful adult. So being involved in your child's education from an early point, even if you don't have school-aged children, you need to be thinking about it and looking at even preschools and teaching them at home because that's something that we should be doing as parents anyway. But particularly if you're going through a divorce and this structure that you have is not going to be there anymore for the child the same way, you need to have that foundation of that education that you've been working on. So you do need to have relationships with their teachers You need to be helping them with homework every night. Most children are not old enough to do their homework on their own until they reach about 13 or 14. So these are things that you really need to be focusing on um, in order to help your child be successful, but also to be a good parent. And that is one of the things that the courts will definitely consider. um, Who is paying more attention to the child's education and who is looking down the road to make sure that this child gets the best education they can. Uh, now, uh, 
one question that occurs to me. Um, some parents, particularly, I think, in single-income households, uh, some parents, in order to... Um, if they if they have a job that may have irregular hours or, you know, say they work in the medical field and, and may need to be on call, they may not be able to, um, say, be there every night to help the child with their homework. Um, and so it ends up falling more on one parent than on the other, just as a consequence of how the, the household has arranged itself to support itself. Um, do the courts take that sort of thing into account? And how can parents who may not be able to be as intensely involved on a day-to-day -day level still remain involved in their child's education? That's a that's a great point because that truly some people's schedules just don't allow it. And that could be the arrangement of the marriage is that one parent works and the other parent stays at home and takes care of the children. And that's what they agreed to. And it certainly doesn't mean that the working parent is wanting to be any less involved or children aren't as important to them as the non-working parents. So um, a parent who is working and can't be helping with homework every day still needs to be involved with the overall education, meaning they need to know who their kids' teachers are. They need to try to make time for a parent-teacher conference. And if you can't, at least be able to email or contact these parents and see the children's grades on a regular basis. You need to still be talking to the children's teachers. So if you're not able to attend parent-teacher conferences, you can email the teacher and say, are there any subjects or issues that I need to work on with my child at home? You know, what is he excelling at? What is he struggling with? I mean, you can stay informed without being involved in homework every night. So you really, you do just need to make it a priority. You need to know what your children's grades are and who their friends are, that kind of thing. And that's that's important whether you're working or not. You've got to be informed for sure. Wonderful. Um, now, another area that is often uh, considered uh, and, and comes up a lot is medical care for the children. Um, and uh, can you talk a little bit about um, how medical care, medical insurance, um, looking at the history of medical care is taken into account um, by the courts. Yeah, so like education, uh, you know, this is a very important topic to judges because we want to make sure that our kids are getting the medical care they need. That being said, we don't want to be overly, um, I guess, anxious about our children's health either to where we're taking them to the doctor for every little runny nose. So it really is a fine balance. Um, but you know, when in doubt, you need to take your child to the pediatrician if you think that they're ill. And also you need to be taking them for their regular well visits. Um, that is something that's important. Otherwise, these pediatricians wouldn't have these well visits. So you don't need to be skipping those. You also, this is something that parents overlook quite a bit. You need to be taking your child to the dentist regularly, even as early as the age of one. Once they have teeth, they are old enough to start going to the dentist. Um, and then vision appointments just to check their eyes because so many children um, may be nearsighted or farsighted and we just don't know. And that could really affect their how they perform at school. So that's something that parents just really need to stay on top of. And, and that's something the court will be looking at, you know, to make sure that 
everybody is providing as much medical care as the child needs. Um, one big thing is your child does need to be insured. I, I don't care if you think it's cheaper to just pay as you go to the doctors or whatever. The court is not okay with children being uninsured. It's just not okay because if there's a catastrophic event or an illness, that child needs health insurance and it cannot stand between them and being treated. So for sure, that's something that every parent should be doing anyway. Um, one thing to keep in mind is as a parent, and this is something we think about all the time is healthy eating and exercise and modeling that for children. That's really important. And I do think it falls by the wayside sometimes, but that is key to having a healthy child is making sure that we're encouraging healthy eating. I mean, especially when your divorce, your marriage is not going well, it may feel easy to just feed your kids some junk food and not and watch a movie, but that is not going to be looked upon by the courts well, and it's just not good for your kids. So it's just something to keep in mind is that you're modeling this behavior for your children as well. That's a, an excellent thing to consider. And I think a good segue into a broader discussion um, what are some things that the courts consider in terms of parental behavior um, and and sort of um, modeling behavior towards the children as opposed distinct from um, sort of care of the children in a concrete way feeding them mm -hmm. educating them clothing them etc uh, yeah right. uh, so do, you have, do you have any thoughts about that I do because that unfortunately in in unhappy marriages, uh, people really lose the capacity to start think to continue to think about, about healthy parenting because they are so unhappy and um, people tend to turn to vices for comfort and escape. Um, for example, drinking um, alcohol excessively or doing drugs or even something like online gambling or an affair or even an online affair. I mean, these things can really affect your marriage and certainly take your attention away from your children. Um, and it's understandable because we're all human and I can see why people, so many of our, our clients have these problems when they come in where they, you know, turn to a vice. And now we've got that on top of trying to manage their divorce and make sure we're doing what's best for the kids. So something to think about for that is just you, you really have to be careful about your vices and what why you're doing what you're doing. You really need to ask yourself, do I need to have that second glass of or third glass of wine? Or am I spending too much money on shopping because I'm trying to make myself happy? I certainly don't want to sound I'm like a therapist and I do think that if you're unhappy in your marriage therapy is a very good option but you really need to think about how the court is going to look at these things because while you're online you know gambling or something you're not paying attention to your children and that is harmful for your children bottom line so that's something to really keep in mind and you know of course your spouse can use this against you so um and it could be that you were just unhappy and you were trying to make yourself feel you know less unhappy but there will be a consequence for it so before it gets to that point you really need to ask yourself if you want to stay in this marriage and if what you are doing is good for your children um, something else to think about when you're being a healthy parent um, fighting in front of your children is really harmful for them just in general it's just mentally upsetting and harmful for them having violent angry outbursts with your spouse any of those things you should not be doing in front of your children. And if you find yourself doing those things, you really need to ask yourself, is this marriage going the way that I want it to? Because again, 
the whole point is we don't want our children to suffer because we don't like our marriage. So we've got to figure out a different way to deal with that. And if that means getting a divorce, then that's what it means. It certainly is not healthy to be fighting in front of your children or calling each other names or having outbursts. So that's something to just keep in mind. And segueing off of sort of clearly bad behaviors, uh, in your experience, are there any things that clients or prospective clients of yours um, have done that they have done thinking that it will make them look better, like a better parent to the court, but that in Mm -hmm. fact has been um, counterproductive? Yeah, um, so you really, as a parent, need to be thinking about what your motivation is for why you're doing the things you're doing with your children. And if it's to try to win in court, that is not a good motivation. The courts usually see through that and punish you. (laughs) So for for example, I, I guess I would say, here are some tips on how still be a good parent even if you're frustrated with your co-parent you're angry with them you're going through a difficult time these are the things you still need to keep in mind you still need to foster a healthy relationship between your children and their other parent um so trying to coach the children or saying disparaging things about the other parent to your children hoping that your children may tell a judge someday that they want to live with you that is a huge red flag for judges. It's very detrimental to your children and it, it doesn't get you what you want. You, it just makes children feel bad for loving their other parent. And that is not what we want. Um, the other thing to think about is, you know, if one of the spouses, if you don't file for divorce, but your spouse does, you should not be talking about that with your children at all. Um, even if you're frustrated, your children are not your friends. <laughs> They're not there to support you emotionally. So you should not be discussing any kind of litigation with your children or talking about um, who they want to live with, any of those things. That's just harmful for children. The best thing to do is to have a conversation with your children with the other parent and let them know mom and dad are getting a divorce and say it, try to express it to them in a healthy way. And therapists can help with that conversation with children, which I would like to say something about therapy. Um, Typically, if a a divorce is unhappy, the children are sensing it, and it it may not be, it's not a bad idea to get the children in some kind of play therapy or counseling, even as you're struggling in this marriage. Even if you don't end up getting a divorce, the children need a way to deal with what they're seeing and what they're experiencing, and play therapy and counseling is a great way for them to handle that and, and to have a third party that's neutral, that doesn't care about mom and dad fighting and just wants to be supportive of the child. So that's really something to get ahead of. I mean, if you see the child having any effect from your unhappy marriage, get them that child into therapy because that will help them. And it just gives them an outlet. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, uh, we're very, very pro-therapy here at the DFW Divorce yes. Insider podcast. <laughs> Yeah, therapy for everyone. Uh, One other thing oh. I would say about parenting with your co-parent, even if you are unhappy with that co-parent, is you, you need to be positive about that parent to the child. For example, if the child's upset about having to go back and forth between the two houses while you are separated, you need to just say to that child, 
mom and I agree that this is what's best for you right now. And I know it, give them an empathy boundary, empathy sandwich. I know this is hard. This is the rule right now. I'm sorry that you missed mom or I'm sorry you missed dad because they really need that boundary to feel safe and empathy helps them feel heard. But saying that dad is getting a divorce from me and that's why we have to do this. We don't want to blame the other parent. Again, all you do is hurt your child when you do that. Saying anything negative about the other parent just harms the child. So that's just something that's kind of my um, soapbox. I, anytime a parent says something negative about the other parent, it drives me crazy and it will harm you in court if for no other reason, don't do it because the judge hates it, but it's just bad for your kid. So don't do it. <laughs> so we're getting near to the limit of our time here. Uh, do you have any last thoughts, anything we missed, anything you want to um, expand on, clarify, wrap up? Yeah, I think number one, you know, this is all about just taking care of our kids and making sure they're okay during a divorce and making sure that the court hears the facts and can make a good decision about who who the children need to be residing with primarily. But one thing to keep in mind is that your spouse may go to an attorney who will advise them to do some nefarious things like record you without your knowledge, put a GPS tracking device on your car, put spyware on your cell phone, so be aware of that. Um, if you're both unhappy and you think your spouse may have gone to see an attorney, just be aware of what you're saying and doing in front of your spouse, where you're going, what's on your phone. Because if your spouse is willing to do those things just to win, your spouse is willing to hurt you in court and possibly hurt the children just to win this divorce. Um, so that's certainly not behavior of someone who's putting the children first, but it is something that happens. So you need to be aware of it. Um, you need to be aware of them possibly taking pictures of empty alcohol bottles or pictures of a messy house. These are things that I've seen in court that are really underhanded and the courts usually see past them, but it's just not good. And we don't want to have to fight on that front as well. So just be very cautious and very aware if you think your spouse has gone to some someone who's given them some underhanded advice. Okay. Well, there we go. Uh, good piece of advice to end on, I think. Um, now, before we go, we've been asking all of our guests one final question, which is, uh, what are you doing to keep up your mental health and spirits during the quarantine? Well, uh, my children and I love music. So we listen to music all the time and have dance parties regularly. So that's what we've been doing. Ooh, there we go. <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I unfortunately live on a, a third floor. Uh, so I don't think my downstairs neighbors would appreciate it too much if we, if we had a dance party, but, uh, no. <laughs> if you, if you don't have downstairs neighbors, please, uh, have a dance party for me. Yes. For the, uh, we, the danceless. Um, all right. Well, that's about all the time we have here at the DFW Divorce Insider Podcast. Thank you, uh, Marianne, so much for being here with us. Thank you. Uh, and thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you like this episode, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you'll get every episode right when it comes out. If you are interested in learning more about today's topic, you'll find some links in the description to further reading. Uh, if you're looking for family law representation in the DFW area, please look us up at www.dfw.org 
duffyandeitzen.com. That is D-U-F-F-E-E-A-N-D-E-I-T-Z-E-N.com. Uh, or at dallastxlegal.com. Or just type Duffy and Eitzen into Google. You could also send us an email at info at d-elaw.com or call us at 214-416-9010. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, I've been Matthew Eitzen, and this has been the DFW Divorce Insider Podcast. Y'all take care now.